all the way from Texas to hear me speak this morning. Thank you. I'm encouraged. Even Allie, all the way from Philly. Appreciate it. And then the other visitors here this morning. I ran across a, uh, a gentleman the other day, and uh, he was pretty upset. And uh, when I approached him, I asked him, you know, what's going on? What's the matter? And he says, well, a few weeks ago, um, uh, one of my uncles died, and I inherited $40,000. I said, oh, man, so that's a lot of money. I said, so what's the matter, you know? And he's like, well, that's just it. Two weeks ago, he said, uh, I had an aunt who passed away, and I inherited over $100,000. Oh, man, that's a lot of money. Why are you so upset? Well, just last week, he said, one of my grandparents passed away, and I inherited over a half a million dollars. I said, man, what in the world are you so upset for? He goes, that's it. This week, nothing. (laughs) (laughs) What we're going to try to look at uh, in the next couple weeks here, Lord willing, uh, we want to look at some biblical principles regarding finances. Biblical principles regarding finances. We've been going through this series in Proverbs, and uh, I would say when it comes to, not just finances, but when it comes to, uh, it's a cause for a lot of problems today uh, in our marriages, um, uh, in our churches, and so I think it's important for us to have a really good biblical perspective on how does God view what he's giving us, right? How does God see that, and then how are we supposed to see that? Right? And in light of all that, what are we supposed to do with it? Right? What are we supposed to do with what God's given us? Um, I think it's extremely important. And so I, I'm praying, and we're going to open and pray right now, that, that, uh, that we might be able to glean some things from God's Word here that will help us be more successful. When I say, say successful, what I mean is that we are using what God has given us. Reason at all, but let's just ask for help this morning. Our Father in heaven, uh, we recognize, acknowledge this morning uh, that you own the cattle on a thousand hills, and uh, I just pray this morning uh, that as I open my mouth, that you would fill it, please. And I also pray that you would give me utterance of speech and boldness to proclaim your word this morning. We ask this in the precious name of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, if you'll turn with me, please, to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. Like I said, this is a, a two-week series. Uh, you get me again next week. And uh, next week we are definitely going to be looking, th- this week as well, but next week we're going to be looking at definitely some more practical things. Uh, I just think that when it comes to finances, when it comes to how do we use what God has given us, I think some of these ones that we're going to go over today are kind of like, the, the groundwork, if you will, the foundation that we need to make sure we understand before we even get into uh, things like a budget and things like that. Um, so in Proverbs chapter 8, we're going to begin in verse 18. Here, uh, the Lord um, Jesus Christ is speaking as wisdom personified. And he says here, Riches and honor are with me. Enduring riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold. Yes, than fine gold. 
and my revenue than choice silver. I traverse the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of justice, that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. The first principle I think that all of us have to understand when it comes to finances, when it comes to our possessions, is that God is the source. In fact, God is not just the source of your finances. God's not just the source of your property. God is the source of everything. Absolutely everything. There is nothing that you have that God did not give to you. Absolutely nothing. Your spouse, your children, your family, your house, your job, everything, your spiritual blessings, everything you have came from one source, and that is God alone. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 Paul says this, he says, and my God will supply every need of yours, every need, according to what? According to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Take a moment and try to fathom, if you will, what do the riches in glory look like? Right? That's why I think Christ can say, hey, listen, my fruit is better than gold. Anything you can think of right now here on this earth, it doesn't even compare to the riches in glory which Christ uses to supply whatever need you have. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, he says this, he says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, At all times, you may abound in every good work. Did you hear that? See, God is the source so that you can have all sufficiency in all things at all times. There's never a time where you can't say, well, God, listen, you can't help me out here. There's never a time where you say, God, you you cannot be my source here. Because God is our sufficiency in all things and at all times. This first biblical principle, I think, is absolutely necessary before you can even go into, how do I handle my money? How do I handle what God has given me? If you cannot first acknowledge and recognize that, the source of all that is God himself. And so I think there's one big word that we have to remember regarding this principle. It's a very simple word, and the word is trust. Do you trust God? Right? From the moment we got saved, that's what it was, right? In Ephesians chapter 1, we read that it was in Him whom you trusted, having believed, and you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You had to trust Him, right? Why is it that there was a point in your life where you knew, I need to trust Him, and yet now in your life you feel, well, I don't need to trust Him all the time, or I don't need to trust Him with this. If God is the source of everything, if He is all-sufficient in all things and at all times, all he's asking you to do is what? Trust him. Just trust him. Turn to Proverbs chapter 3, please. 
Proverbs chapter 3, verse 16 says this. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. Again, the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to us as wisdom personified. Right? Even length of days, even uh, riches and honor, all of those things come from God. Look at uh, Proverbs 22. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4, it says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. All these things are available, right, from God as our source, but only as we fear Him, right? Only as we trust Him with what He has given us. The, uh, the verse that we read earlier uh, in Proverbs chapter 8, um, verse 21, it says, That I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth. Some of your translations there actually may say to inherit substance. Substance, right? And really, the, the word there actually means substantial happiness. Substantial happiness, right? It's opposed to all worldly enjoyments. So as we get into this, uh, these biblical principles, um, I think it's important for us to know that if we want to have substantial happiness, right? In fact, here in Second Corinthians chapter 9, that word sufficiently, sufficiency can actually be translated contentment as well, right? We need to acknowledge and recognize that our sufficiency, right, at all times and in all things comes from Christ alone, only in Him, that He is our source, Right? And that all we are to do is fear the Lord, to trust Him, and then there are riches and honor and life in Him. Uh, the second biblical principle that I think is important is this. Giving is essential. Okay? Giving is essential. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. First thing I want to talk about is when it comes to giving, uh, and this is a very important uh, principle, I think, is that God must be first. Put God first. Right? If it's God who has provided everything you have anyway, if God is your sufficiency, if God is the source of everything, right, then it would only make sense that when we give, we give to God first. We put Him first. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 26, please. God had delivered Israel from Egypt, from the bondage and slavery. He brought them into the land to possess it, to dwell in it. Then he gave them some instructions here. We're just going to read a little bit of it. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but you'll see here in the first few, first few verses here of Deuteronomy chapter 26, 
He says, and it shall be when you come into the land, which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, and you possess it and you dwell in it, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground, which you shall bring from your land that the Lord your God has given you. And you're going to put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And you shall go to the one who is priest in those days and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the country which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Look at verse 9, please. And so he brought, he has brought us to this place and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given me. Then you shall set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. So you shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord your God has given to you and your house, you and the Levite and the stranger who is among you. Later on in verse 17, just to begin, it says, Today you have proclaimed the Lord to be your God. And in verse 18, also today, the Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people. Mm-hmm. Right? Why did God ask the Israelites to do this? Right? He delivered them. He brought them into the land that he promised. Why then he says, listen, I want you to take now the first of everything and I want you to give it to me. Right? Well, I think simply, right, one purpose was to teach them to put God first. Initially, that's got to be one of the primary lessons there is that he wanted them to understand, hey, listen, I want you to put me first. Right? But not only that, it was Israel's way of expressing gratitude to God for their provisions, right? You could hear in some of the words of them saying, Lord, God, it was you that brought us into this land. It was you that gave us these possessions. Right? And so by them giving the first of what they had, it was a way of expressing gratitude to God for all that he had provided for them. And it was lastly, it was a way of acknowledging God and his help. Right? We're, we're all familiar with that Proverbs verse where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your, on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. In all your ways. Right? And so this was one of the ways that God had them acknowledge him as God. They said, God, we're going to take our first of everything, and we're going to give it to you. One, to teach us, hey, God comes first. Second, to express our gratitude, right, for your provisions. But thirdly, to acknowledge you, right, and your help. Generally speaking, right, generally speaking, it is true that godliness results in gain, right, that piety brings prosperity, right? We read in, uh, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 2, that by trusting in the Lord, and we've read some already, that there is actually length of days, that God promises peace, right? And Deuteronomy chapter 28, um, we have the blessings on obedience, that Israel was actually promised blessings for obedience. If you did this, then God would bless you. And if you obeyed this command, then God would bless you. All right? but we even read in Matthew chapter 6, right? We quote it all the time. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So there's this idea that godliness, true godliness, results in gain. 
In fact, in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, it says this, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So generally speaking, right, it's true that, that godliness results in gain. The reason why I say generally speaking is because one of the things we've talked about here in Proverbs is that these are not absolute promises, right? But these are, um, I said, things that uh, are helpful. The reason why we've got to be careful with this is that God, right, is not to be invested in. Okay? God doesn't want us to sit there and say, you know, I'm going to invest in God and hopefully my return comes back, you know, twofold here. And that's not how God is to be treated. The reason why he taught the Israelites to do this and he teaches us to do this is because God wants to be honored. God is not to be invested in. Rather, God is to be honored with what we have. And so it's important for us to know that we have to put God first. Right. So what are some ways that we put God first? Well, um, we've heard a lot of times uh, people talk about whether or not they have their quiet time in the morning or not. And certainly there's lots of different uh, views to that. I've heard people say, well, you have to have your quiet time in the morning because there's a battle all day. I mean, how can you prepare for battle when it's over at night and spend your time with the Lord? And that's, that sounds valid to me, right? I mean, what better way to prepare for the battles of the day than to spend time with the Lord and put on Christ and put on that armor? But if nothing else, how about this? How about have a quiet time in the morning because you're putting God first? Before you do anything else, you're saying, God, you're going to come first today. Just that alone, I think, is a good reason why to have a quiet time in the morning, when you rise. Right? You know, I still remember uh, working with Dwight Knight at Camp Rhea years ago, and, and uh, uh, I came into his, where he was staying in his cabin, and he was in bed reading the Bible. And I just thought it was so cool. As a teenager, I was like, you know what, that's right, I don't even have to get out of bed to have time with the Lord. You can do it right in bed, okay? even before you get up. right? But that's one way that you can put God first. Right? Spend time with God before you do anything else. But how else could you put God first? Um, I think I've shared this before, but it's pretty fun. Uh, Tony Evans uh, did this with his family, and so I've tried to do it with my family. Is Every time you sit down to have a meal, do spiritual food before physical food. Right? Tony Evans, the way he described it, was they are a lot more sacrificial than I am. But you know they'd have this big spread, beautiful meal, all hot. And ready to go. And then his dad would be like, okay, spiritual food now before physical food. And they'd have to sit him, listen to him like a three-point sermon. And all the food was getting cold. And they'd have to sit there and wait until he was done. You know? But guess what? That's the way of putting God first. Right? How about going to church instead of something else? Do you think that's a way of putting God first? I think so. Right? So often, right, we don't put God first. We'd rather do something else than go to church. Hey, my son has a game or, you know, there's something else going on that day. And so we're going to go there instead of putting God first. But one of the other ways, a practical way, and, and certainly we're talking about finances here, is there are many people who will take right off the top and give it to the Lord. Now, I can't tell you that there's a command to do that, right? The Israelites, as we just read here, they had a tithe, and some people say it's 10%, but if you study it, it's like, it's like 20-something percent. They had to give a lot for tithing. 
But there's a certain this idea that you've heard probably for years is that some people take 10% and they give it to God. I got no problems with that. Right? In fact, there, there are those I know that they'll take it even before the net, right off the top, gross. 10% of what they make and they give it to the Lord. That's a great way of putting God first, isn't it? I will tell you this. I'm sure there are, there are some exceptions. I don't know everyone's family. Um, I know my family, and I certainly know some other families, is that for my wife and I, and for those that I know, if you have the um, desire to put God first, you'll never be in want. I can tell you story after story where God has met our needs beyond what we could even imagine. Because we made a point early in our marriage to say, listen, we're going to put God first. And listen, it's hard. It's hard when you have seven kids and, uh, and the cars are breaking down and there's bills that are coming in. Listen, I, everyone ever say here knows what it's like. And it's so easy to sit there and say, you know what? I can't put God first this time. I've got to do this. But I'm telling you, when we go back to what we're talking about, true godliness results in gain. I'm telling you that when we put God first, right, God blesses that. God blesses that. It doesn't mean that you may not get everything that you want, okay? But you'll see God bless you in ways that you can't even imagine. But we need to put God first. In Malachi chapter 3, um, I came across this verse later in my, in my life, and I've made this my life prayer. You know, I, I share this with you not to... Um, sound whatever, but uh, it's interesting to me that in the 20 years that I've been teaching in a public school system, I've had more opportunities to talk about Jesus Christ because of my, for lack of a lack of finances, anything else. What I mean by that is, I can't tell you how many times I've had a conversation with teachers where they say, John, your wife doesn't work, you've got seven kids, and you're on a teacher's salary. Like, how do you do it? And it's a tremendous opportunity for me to say, listen, God is my source. Right? Jesus Christ will provide all my needs. Okay? And the world, of course, doesn't understand that. But I get to see it firsthand. And there's people who have better examples than I do. Those who are dependent on the Lord, who are out there in various parts of the world, who trust God. I get a paycheck every other week. Okay? It's easy for me. <laughs> there are those who there's no paychecks coming in. And yet they trust God because they acknowledge him as their source. But here I've tried to make this my prayer for myself anyway. In uh, Malachi chapter 3, and I'm sorry, this is not my prayer. This is um, something else that I'm going to share with you later on. But here uh, Malachi says this. He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the window of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. As far as I know, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, this is the only time that God says, test me. It's interesting. Only time in all the scripture that God says, listen, prove me. Hey, you think I'm wrong? Go ahead. Put me first and I will prove to you that I will put blessings on you that you can't even imagine. Prove me. Test me in this. Put me first. All these other things that you think are important that you want, listen, it's nothing. Put me first and you will see 
so much blessing that there will not be enough room to receive it. You won't even be able to receive it. There will be so much. Giving is absolutely essential. And in giving, we need to give to God first. Whatever that is, brothers and sisters, in our lives, we have to be those who think, okay, listen, God must come first here. God has to come first. God has to come before your spouse. God has to come before your children. God must be preeminent in our lives. But the second thing along with that is given essential is we are called to give to others. We have to give to others. Ephesians 4.28, I think it's just a great verse. Uh, Paul here is talking about people who had just got saved. They had just got saved, and he gives all these different things about uh, no more uh, lying. Lying's wrong. Don't do it anymore, right? And he talks about um, different things about the, their kind of speech. But one of the things that he mentions, and there's only like six things to these new believers, he says this, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, Doing honest work with his own hands. Why? So that he could provide for his family? No. That it could be a good testimony in the world? No. All those things are important. He says, so that they may have something to share with anyone in need. You ever think about why we're called to labor? Why we're called to work? God has called us to work. right? Even before the curse. We know that. right? We're called to work. One of the reasons why you work is that you could help someone in need. That's the reason. How often do we think about that? Right? That what God has given you, your house, your car, the, your um, resources, your finances, God wants you to use that to help those who are in need. Let me try to explain some more. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, take a look at Deuteronomy. Again, instructions here that God has given his people. Deuteronomy chapter 15, beginning in verse 7. Okay, if there, is, if there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates in your land which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother. But you shall open your hand wide to him. And willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Beware, lest there be a wicked thought in your heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release is at hand, and your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cry out to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin among you. You shall surely give to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore I command you, saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. I wonder if uh, Solomon might have been meditating on the words of Moses when he wrote this in Proverbs chapter 11. Verse 24, he says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Or perhaps even Paul 
was meditating on the words of Moses or even the words of Solomon when he wrote, God loves a cheerful giver. I'm sure you don't struggle with this uh, as I do. Um, but so often, not so often, but there are times when uh, there, there's a need that you become aware of, right? And our hearts become hardened because we know that brother or sister, right? We know, you know what, they don't handle their finances very well. You know, I, I saw what they bought last week. That was frivolous spending. I don't, I don't agree with that. And like we harden our hearts towards our brothers and our sisters and we say, you know what, I know that there's a need there, but I'm not going to open my hand to them. I think we've got to be careful. And I don't know if what the answer is to this yet. Um, but as in Israel there, there was the seven years. And at the end of that seventh year, all debts were free. And so here you have a guy, he's in need, and you know, man, if I, give, if I lend to this guy, the seventh year is coming up, he, he's not going to pay me back. I'm not giving it to him. And so certainly um, there's this principle here. Um, where when we lend uh, to our brothers and sisters, right, we're not to expect anything in return. We're just supposed to give to them. We're to open our hands wide and allow whatever God has given us to meet their need. One of the interesting things here is in Second Corinthians. Look at Second Corinthians. So this is the Old Testament, but look at the New Testament here in the church here. Second Corinthians chapter 8. Second Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to be in verse 8. He says, I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. Here's that testing again. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it. That as there was readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind that is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. (laughs) That verse there that they're quoting is talking about the time where God had sent manna from heaven. And the manna fell down, and every morning they were to go out and gather it. And so if you were someone like Brian McWilliam, who's really big and has long arms, he was able to gather a lot of manna, right? But if you were someone like, uh, you know, Mariana, really small and tiny, okay, she wasn't able to get a whole lot. But it didn't matter, did it? Because what happened was everyone went out and gathered, and they brought it together, and then they evenly distributed it to everyone. Everyone got the same amount of manna. And Paul's saying the same thing here. God has given us different amounts, hasn't he? Some in abundance, some lacking. 
But the point is, nobody in this assembly, nobody in the church of God should be lacking at all. God has provided enough amongst his people where nobody should be lacking. If we recognize that God comes first and that our responsibility is to use what God has given us to meet the needs of my brothers and my sisters, there should be no lacking. Everyone's needs should be met. Complete equality, as God says. But unfortunately, property is like manna. Right? It will not bear hoarding. If you took that manna and you tried to hoard some for yourself, what happened? It spoiled. Yeah. And yet we look at our own lives today. What is it that we're hoarding today? What property, what finances, what resources has God given us that we're saying, you know what, this is mine. This is mine. And all it is, it's spoiling. That's all it's doing. There's no equality. Brothers and sisters are in need because we are not doing what we're supposed to be doing. You see, it's a lot more than just make sure your finances are budgeted, make sure you're paying your bills. It's a lot more than that, isn't it? And that's important. We're going to get to that next week. But we have to understand this first, that God is the source of everything, and that, two, we are to give to him first, and we are to give to those in need. What God has given us is not for us to keep to ourselves, not to hoard for ourselves. We have to give it and share it with those. I'll close you with this um, a story here. Is I went to a, uh, a Yankee baseball game. I won't tell you which one of my kids. But uh, and we went with Pepe. You know, we went, went with Armin. You know, when you go with Armin, you know, you're, you're going to enjoy some, some stuff that you don't normally get to enjoy. So anyhow, we're sitting there at the game, and every time that guy would come by, Cracker Jacks! Old Pepe, right here. Give my kid some Cracker Jacks. Popcorn! Right here. Soda! Right here. In fact, the guy came by with beer once. And my son, oh, now I know. My son goes, hey, can I get one of those? And we were like, no, no. But everything else, Pepe gave him. Everything else. Cotton candy, hot dogs, you name it. Now, Daddy, being the poor Daddy that I am, and he said, son, I will get you the little souvenir ice cream cup in the seventh inning. And I told Pepe, I'd, I'd like to get that for my son. You know, it's our first time at a Yankee game. So sure enough, something came, gave him that nice little souvenir cup. He's sitting there having, having a blast, you know. And I say, hey, can Daddy have a taste? No. Took that ice cream and I finished that whole thing. He was crying the whole game, the rest of the game. Hey, it's amazing. Our fallen condition, guys, our nature is that we don't want to share. We want to hoard everything to ourselves. And I wish that he had learned a lesson that night, but I don't think he did. Hey, but I think every one of us, right, has to learn that lesson is that God has blessed us and blessed us and blessed us. And, and, and here we are, and someone wants some of it, and we're like, oh, no. I I got this. This is mine. Right. Forgetting that God gave that to you. God provided that for you and very well could have given that to you so that you could share it with that brother or sister. And yet, you know what? Sometimes God says he may take it away from us. We're supposed to be stewards with what God has given us. And sometimes if we're not a good steward, God says, you know, what? I'm going to give it to someone else who's going to use it the right way. I'm sorry we're out of time, but I said we're going to continue this next week. And uh, we'll, we'll look at a little more as, uh, what, what God wants us to do with our, our finances. But let's just pray, and then we'll go into corporate prayer. Okay? Uh, our Father in heaven, thank you again uh, for being so gracious with us. 
And uh, certainly we would ask that you would help us to consider these things uh, this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.